0: Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Roland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Howl's Moving Castle, Howl's Moving Castle, and two Howl's Moving Castle fanfics, Hearts and Their Consumption by Setupin Reset, and Second Time Lucky by Labelle Menteuse. And welcome to episode 89, A Particularly Heartless Wizard. I'm Alex, and I'm the Wizard Pendragon. I'm Freya, and I am Sorcerer Jenkins. I'm Macy, and I am
1: H. Jenkins, florist. We are three red-headed fantasy authors.
0: And today, at long last, we are <laughs> finally answering that uh, question that yeah. listeners have been begging us to do for, for ages and ages. We're having a Diana Wynne Jones episode. <laughs> Yay! We're like, we could do a deep dive on Howl's Moving Castle, but then we think it's cooler if the tent poles are Howl's Moving Castle, Howl's Moving Castle, and then two (laughs) Howl's Moving Castle effects. So, yes, this is going to be good fun. Uh, But before we get into all of that, uh, what have we been reading, fellow serpents?
1: As usual, I have been whiplashing my way back and forth between genres. (laughs) Um, I recently read the new Alexis Hall romance novel so this one is called rosalind palmer takes the cake and it is about a young bisexual single mom who enters what is basically the great british bake-off so this book is the first in a series that's going to focus on like i think subsequent series and subsequent characters in this fake great british bake-off and so it's got a lovely ensemble cast and some great humor, obviously, because it's Alexis Hall. It's an interesting one as a romance novel because the main character spends most of the novel dating the wrong person. Hmm. Mm. So, which you don't often see, you know, like she meets someone in what you would think of as a traditional meet cute. She spends most of the book seeing this person, sleeping with this person, but slowly developing a relationship with the person who she is meant to, in quotation marks, end up with. And it's really fascinating, like it's handled very well. I thought it was a fantastic exploration of how circumstance and your own baggage can make Mm. you be with the person that you think you should be Mm. with, Mm. rather than the person who is actually right for you. So it it involves the main character examining a lot of her own preconceptions and the way she thinks about herself and other people. It's
0: really good
2: and very funny. Making me think a little bit of the movie Imagine Me and You. Yes, yes in which the main character falls for her own wedding florist.
1: God, I love that movie. Was it... it's,
2: uh, it's unfortunate.
1: It's unfortunate. It's one of the, <laughs> the earliest lesbian rom-coms, and it's oh so good. It's so good. Anyway, so I highly recommend Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake. And then I read a book which I think is an exceedingly Macy book. So Macy, oh. take oh. a note. This book is bock. This book. This book. Missy This book is called <laughs> Sister Song by Lucy Holland. Uh, uh, it's a recent release and it is a historical fantasy. Ooh. And it's based apparently on an old British folk tale possible folk t- song hmm. about a pair of sisters one of whom gets turned into a harp and then someone plays her and she tells the story of how one of us her, her, her sister murdered her
2: it's the Bonnie swans it's the one I'm doing my gothic based off of
1: maybe but this one is apparently based on a particular thing with two sisters yes there maybe
2: yep it's a Louisa McKennet does a version there's a song there's a Yes, yes. Then my sister pushed me in and then the miller's daughter pulled me out and they turned me into a harp. Yes, it's that one.
1: Anyway, so this does that. (laughs) Um, Most of the harp shit doesn't happen until quite near the end. Most of this is actually a story of three sisters, except it is actually two sisters and a brother because one of the main characters is trans. Mm -hmm. And a lot of um, his journey through the book is coming to terms with his identity and trying to be accepted as the king's heir, mm. and it's got a really interesting view of Britain at the time with the you know advent of Christianity and the the tension between Christian priests and the old pagan gods, and hmm. it has a heap of shit about the king. Having land magic and the king's relationship with the land has to be right or everything Alex goes is wrong. Here going where? There's a <laughs> lot of Heroes come in see that stuff. Not to do with, yeah, like the wedding, but the, definitely some <laughs> king and land stuff. So I think yeah. you would like this as well. Uh, the characterization is really good. It's got really nice prose. Fantastic book. I'm not sure if it's out in the States yet. I think it may have a slightly mm. later mm. stateside release than it does Commonwealth, but keep an eye out for it. It's beautiful cover, really good book. Wreck, for Serpents. Very good. And very briefly, I also read a Regency fantasy book called Half a Soul by Olivia Atwater, which is about a young woman who accidentally strays into fairy as a young girl and has half her soul stolen. And Mm. so she goes through the world unable to feel half of her emotions. And so she describes it as she can't feel the immediate emotions. She can only feel the emotions with a long tail. Uh, and there are hijinks where she gets taken, of course, to the city with her cousin to have the cousin to have a season and get married off. Uh, and she falls in with the sort of like the court sorcerer who does not really like anybody and does really wishes everyone would leave him alone. Uh, and they have to do some like solve a, a magical sleeping plague. Mm. Hmm. It's really delightful. I had a good time. And finally, I read golden iron by an dun, dun, dun. author who we may have heard of called oh, alexander yes. roland oh so yes. this is the re- <laughs> i got my hands of course on the revised version of this which i read in first draft form as well and had an absolutely delightful time the romance in this is so good the supporting characters are so good thank you it's just a very good book
0: do you like the edits i did like the edits the, the new draft i was surprised
1: cool. actually like knowing having read the first draft and knowing that you had to make these big edits of like where the book was set, what the mm-hmm. main plot was, reading <laughs> just, you know, it again. Just minor
2: things. Just minor things. things.
1: Reading it again, I was surprised that it felt like basically the same book because mm. the relationship was basically the same. Right. And so I probably – reading I was like, I'm, I'm sure this scene happened. I can't remember what was different about it. <laughs> so <laughs> well, huge structural it's... edits and also almost no edits. Well done. Good
2: trick. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: <laughs> it, it, it is an interesting – trick when the spine of a book is emotional rather mm. than action right because that's yeah. what really anchors it uh um, yeah anyway yeah it was I like read... reading an
1: au it was bizarre <laughs>
0: <laughs> Macy what did, did you, you
2: do? yes um let's see i'm awake um i read kate elliott's unconquerable son which was great fun and it got to like 50 percent of the way through And started being full of battle tactics. And I'm sitting there going, Tell me more. (laughs) Tell me more about this flanking maneuver. And then we got to bop over into the enemy's skull and like see everything from their point of view. Macy, what is this book? This book is a gender-flipped retelling of Alexander the Great in space, Mm -hmm. which I have been waiting for since literally 2015. Yes. And it's in my hands, and now I want the next book, and I'm mad that the spoiler thing i was waiting for in book one didn't happen because i don't like the queen
0: Mm.
2: Mm. i'm like is it spoilers if it's history
1: i Uh, think i think the history is fucked with enough that yes we can call it spoilers anyway
2: anyway, it didn't happen so it's not spoilers as well as that i have been reading so much persona 5 fic
0: Um, how did you get onto persona 5 i i don't know I do Sometimes know. Sometimes these things just happen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the thing is that there are multiple, like, 100,000 word plus Persona 5 fix as I am discovering. Sure. I think part of it is that the villain, who is the main half of the main pairing that everybody ships, mm-hmm. is just this perfect ball of, like, self-hatred and deception, and I love mm-hmm.
0: him. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that's why it kept me, I think. After I read, like, one or two fix, I was like, oh, oh, this feral cat is mine now. Does,
1: it, does he think it lends itself to particularly long fix because it takes 500,000 words to unferal the cat?
2: Oh, you never unferal the cat. You just make him bite sexually rather than gremlinly. <laughs> you can do that in 2,000 words. You can oh, no. and some of them do but I think the big thing is I did not figure this out until I'd read, like, three of them. Um, there is apparently a game mechanic that is New Game Plus where you can go back in time to the beginning of the game and people remember what happened. And so Ooh. people write lots of time travel fix-it-fix for some reason. Huh, Interesting. <laughs> Very anyway, cool. Anyway, also I started actually writing my book again last weekend, Yay. thanks to Freya and Jen, uh, dragging me through the first episodes of Word of Honor, which is More a very silly show. More dragging will happen. Very silly show. Um, it's everyone a very very silly is very show. stupid. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the visual puns, like like cut sleeve I just got to set episode 6 and he cut his sleeve off and I'm like this sleeve. is the wrong he way round like...
2: you are meant to cut your own sleeve for them what are you doing sit down how did this get past the
0: censors how did this get past the censors truly an incredible very silly show we love it <gasps> Dear listeners, it's my turn, and I only uh-huh. have one, technically two books to tell you about. I told you about this last episode, but I was so excited by it but I, that I think that I was a little bit incoherent, and I didn't do a very good job of telling you about it then. Since then, I have finished the book. The book is The Hands of the Emperor by Victoria Goddard. This book is The Goblin Emperor meets The West Wing meets Moana. <laughs> How? Fascinating collection of comps. Thank you, thank you for the question, Macy. perfect question to lead it in. It's uh, the Goblin Emperor for the fealty and the ethics and the quiet humbling joy of serving an honorable lord and trying to make the world better. It is the West Wing for its liberal politics and that scene from the West Wing, which is um, do you have a best friend? Is he smarter than you? Would you trust him with your life? That's your chief of staff. Uh, and it is Moana for a, uh, a solo journey across the sea mirrors an internal journey of personal identity and, uh, the call of a dream taking you away from your homeland and then bringing the fruits of your labor and the dream back home to your family and your community. Hmm. Uh, it is an absolutely beautiful book. Um, it's not book-shaped at all. For one thing, it's 900 pages long, uh... It has a very interesting relationship with the idea of tension, which is that it says, nah. (laughs) Um, There's no like bad things that happen in this book, but Victoria Goddard is so, so good at characters. I have never seen anyone do characters as good as Mm -hmm. that. Um, You are so riveted by these good people trying to do good things and make the world a little bit better in small increments. They introduce fantasy universal basic income for the entire world. It's great shit. And you're just riveted the whole time. I don't cry at books. I I have cried at two books before in my entire life. This is the third book that I have cried at. Those other two books, I cried at one scene in each one. This one, I cried at about 17 different scenes. I have now finished my spiel. Freya,
1: you have a thing to say? (laughs) I have a thing to say, which is that, you know, thanks to Alex's enthusiasm, I did actually start this book. I am currently 3% of the way through. I agree that the Moana stuff is there already, like from the way the world building talks about the oceans and travelers and people who Mm -hmm. just – the people who come from these uh, islands. And also, yes, it does not book-shaped, but my brain has immediately turned it fanfiction-shaped. Yes. Because it's extremely long, and it just reads like someone wants to spend a bit more time with some characters, so has written a political bureaucracy <laughs> AU mm-hmm. where yes. they all just sit around and have a good time. And yes. so now that my brain has said this is a 900,000-word fanfic with which with source material with which you are unfamiliar, uh-huh. My brain's like, oh, okay. So I'm just reading like a few pages before bed. It's probably going to take me a year or something to get through it. I'm not feeling any sense of urgency, but it's very comfortable. Yeah, like, I'm really yeah. enjoying it. I do like bureauc- bureaucracy bullshit. I like The West Wing. I think it's just not the kind of thing that I'm going to race through well, and then cry over. Fairness, but I'm a lovely 900 time. Nine hundred
2: pages is only about three hundred thousand words.
1: Yes. so yeah. no, no, not nine hundred thousand yeah. words. Nine hundred pages.
0: 900 pages yeah it's a very it's it's a chunky fanfic of a book yes yeah. okay we are almost a quarter
2: of an hour in shall we yes right. we shall let us
1: so i am very delighted that our main tentpole slash first tentpole slash prime tentpole.
2: like tent pole freya prime. freya what a <laughs> <the, like>, gentle <laughs> wrestling match to present there was a gender wrestling match
1: to be the one who gets to introduce this. And I won because I said, and this is true, that this is my favorite book of all time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. I have read it at least annually for <laughs> at least a decade. <laughs> it is the ultimate comfort read for me. And it is the story of a young woman called Sophie Hatter who lives in a magical world called Ingry. And Sophie is the oldest of three sisters, so by fairy tale rules, she is quite convinced that anything she attempts to do, she will fail at, and her main role in life is to be a supporting influence on her youngest sister, who is clearly the one who's going to have an interesting life. Mm -hmm. And Sophie has a curse put on her by the Wicked Witch of the Waste, which turns her into an old woman. She goes off in search of someone who can help her break the curse and ends up working as a cleaning lady (laughs) for the dreadful Wicked Wizard Howl. Uh, in his moving castle, and hijinks. Yeah,
2: is... <laughs> hijinks is one word for it. Sophie, bless her heart, never seems particularly motivated by getting the curse off, because she actually kind of comes to enjoy being seen as an old lady fairly quickly.
0: Yeah, yes. Because, th- cause, like, boys don't bother she her. she gets to just be grumpy and, she can just... and like, rude to people. Yeah. She
2: can be as rude as she wants, and she's clearly absolutely
0: yeah. loving it. Yes, yes. I mean, that is one of the great things about getting old, which I think that this book portrays in a really, like, gentle, humorous kind of way, which is the sort of things that little old ladies can get away (laughs) with, that young pretty ladies cannot really get away with. Yes, and like, on one level, it's very
1: much a journey of self-discovery for Sophie as someone who's timid and doesn't put herself out there, but clearly has this sort of like persnickety, ornery personality that she's only ever let come through with her sisters that the fact of being transformed into an old lady lets her kind of come into her own inner old lady self (laughs) Mm. (laughs) as she goes through the book and becomes much more of a forceful personality. And the clash between her kind of forceful personality and the particularly (laughs) forceful (laughs) personality of the wizard Hal, who is a flamboyant, vain, and somewhat ridiculous Ah. young man, is just.
2: I don't even know beautiful. if he's, like it's a he's wonderful. a
0: perfect boy. He's, he's one of my perfect boys. I don't even know
2: if he's so much forceful as he is like fireworks are forceful because he doesn't like push in a direction. He just kind of explodes all over the place messily at once.
1: Yes. Yeah, he's messy. He's a he's messy, a messy bitch. person.
0: And he's, a, he's a he's a chaos gremlin that's what he is <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: he's the kind of person that i love seeing in books
0: but would
2: hate to have to deal with in your life
1: oh god absolutely i'm like, watching <laughs> the romance with him and sophie is wonderful but also you're like oh god rather you than me girl <laughs>
2: There's like an extended thing yeah. in the book version where Sophie decides she doesn't like one of his suits and cuts it up into triangles to make it into a skirt. And then he's like, that's my favorite suit. And she has to like sew it back together one triangle at a time. And suit yes. <laughs> shrinks because of the seam allowance. Yeah, And then she grows it to the size of a circus tent and Howl wears it. And this visual of this, this terrible, terrible To toy. be
0: passive aggressive. God, I love him.
2: <laughs> Just I with do- the like suit dragging behind behind them down the stairs oh yeah
1: yeah he's the most extra person in in (laughs) any book oh my gosh (laughs) but i I think i particularly like Uh... that sophie is a very unreliable narrator and we never we never leave her point of view and Mm -hmm. we see the world and the characters that she comes into contact with very much through her point of view and so to start with you get a very firm sense of who people are and what they're like and it depends, I guess, on what level you're reading it. I think the first time you, I read the book, I probably just took Sophie's w- word for most things. It's only near the end of the book that you start to think, actually, she's quite judgmental. <laughs> and maybe she's made some mistakes about some of these people. And some of those she is forced to come to terms with, like the way right, she has like been thinking man. about thinking about Fanny, her stepmother. And she thinks, hmm, maybe actually I have misjudged this person that I was thinking about as evil stepmother in
0: my head. Mm. And yeah, because she, she tends to think about things in very fairy tale structures, right. too, mm. um, like herself as the eldest sister who's fated to fail first and worst, and the evil wizard and the evil stepmother and so on and so forth. And so she's like, well, I guess the protagonist is just my little sister and there's nothing to be done about it.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, Macy, I, mm-hmm. I put up a whole dot point where I like, explain things here, so you don't have to look at it, but I was going to ask you what you thought about the story engine slash engines oh, of this book because we've been having a lot of discussions about story no. engines and plot
2: we pa- okay. Okay. dear listeners darling listeners Fea has very kindly been leading macy like a toddler by the hand <laughs> through remedial story engine for <laughs> beginners <laughs> is what's
1: actually been okay. happening so this is your practical exam oh my god this is it's your not
2: marks
0: this is just a progressive I don't know assessment if I'm ready yet, Mrs. <laughs> give it your best um, shot Oh my goodness! Listen, miss. Macy, Macy, Macy. Oh, All oh. of us have to go through one of Freya's teaching schools. I had to go through Freya's smut writing course. I feel course. like needing
2: to be taught to write smut <laughs> is less embarrassing than needing to be a, taught to. And like, I could not tell you what any of my favorite books are about. What happens in them? I couldn't tell you. I just don't care. Um, but okay, what is the engine of this book? Um, mystery. Figuring things out. Sophie wants to understand stuff like Calcifer's curse and she has a lot of questions and she isn't Mm. really driving that hard, but I think that the reader is wondering a lot of things. And to me, that's one of the things that kind of pulls you through. Mm. What would you say? Yeah. Well, I'd say
1: that there are a few interweaving ones, and what actually drives us through various stages of the book changes. Mm -hmm. So to begin with, Mm -hmm. it is a quest narrative. I need to get, will Sophie get this curse off her?
2: Mm, Is she going to find
1: somebody who, you know, who can help break the curse? Uh, Then it becomes a bit more of a bit of a mystery, but still a quest. Like there's this theory firm, I will, Calcifer saying, I will help you uh, take the curse off if you can basically solve this riddle or, you know, break the spell that's, that's binding me to Hal. And so it is about her having to listen out for clues as to what's going on. So it is kind of mystery solving quest at that point. Uh, and then once we learn about Hal's curse and we have the Witch of the Waste come in and then we have the riddle and trying to escape this bigger curse, which is fairly ill-defined. It's just sort of like the curse will catch up <laughs> with you. It's just him. a then <laughs> Bad things. Bad, uh, bad things. And then in the background, yeah. you have all these other like random mysteries that are kind of occurring <laughs> Uh, like all the stuff to do with Prince Justin having disappeared and there's a war and Hal doesn't want to have to go off and fight in the war because he's lazy and doesn't like doing things for other people
2: but I feel like his position of not wanting to go fight in a war was an utterly reasonable one and I support him oh yes but from
1: Sophie's point of view he's a lazy slitherer alterer
2: Right, because yep. as aforementioned, Sophie decides and has decided, and now that's how you are.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then at a certain point in the second half, the engine becomes, for the reader, to a certain extent, the romance. Mm. And like, when mm. will she get the curse off and realise that she's in love? Especially because they introduce a romantic rival in the form of Miss Angorian.
2: Yep. Mm, so, like, like, the last
1: yeah. third is kind of like the last third of a romance novel, but you've just been doing a quest <laughs> yeah. novel for the first two <laughs> thirds. So this was a difficult example to do.
0: Because <laughs> she is a- – I think she starts being, like, jealous of the the girls that, mm. that Howell is flirting with before the end of the last third. But she doesn't, again, going back to the unreliable narrator thing, she doesn't admit it to herself. And it's hard for you, the reader, to spot that unless you're looking for it, unless you've, like, read the book before. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise you're just like, you're grouchy for no reason today, Sophie. Why is that? <laughs> okay. mm, I wonder why she's
1: killing things with weed killer. Yeah. Mm. Well,
0: and it does remind me a little bit about a book
2: that I was going to bring up later, but the, um, the Connie Willis one that you guys told me what it was called and I've forgotten yet again. To say
0: nothing from the dog, to say nothing, leh. what am I saying? To say nothing of the dog. To say, to say nothing of the dog. There you go. There we go. like, Um, what's a preposition?
2: (laughs) Amazing. What are prepositions? Why do we need those? Let's just jet them. Anyway, um, that book, because I think one of the things... Plots like this, you're you're kind of ambling along and then you get sideswiped by a log and you end up doing something completely different for a bit. Yes. Um, yeah.
1: And I think it only works in cozy fantasy. And this is a very mm, cozy mm-hmm. fantasy. The stakes right. are relatively low. Yeah, there is a war, but we don't really care about the war <laughs> in this book. Like, it's, its background. <laughs> Nobody cares. Like, yeah, we care about what's right. happening to the three or four people who are on the page in front of us. And it's the same in To Say Nothing of the Dog. The stakes are literally... Can we find this MacGuffin that some horrible old lady has told us to find? Will we get back, you know? I think there is some like, oh, we could change the course of the future, but most of it is cozy and character-focused. And I think you can Mm. do that kind of sideswiping and diverting and tangentialing in a cozy fantasy because the stakes are never enormous. Like if you got sideswiped by a mini quest when the stakes are save the world then a reader might get a bit impatient as to like why yeah. we're over here. But if the stakes are just like, oh, solve someone's love life, then we can just meander down a river for a while and it's fine. Yeah. Mm.
2: Tangentling. <laughs>
1: tangentling.
2: I like that. It's a good word. <laughs> 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 Dear someone... <laughs> listeners, Macy is not very well slept at present. Please forgive any any tangentling. That's okay. Well um, someone has highlighted my dog point. <laughs> please.
1: So this is another thing that I really like about House Moving Castle is that it does a literalization of the heart of the home being the hearth and also yes. a lot of stuff to do with hearts. So Calcifer, the fire yep. demon, is the hearth and how judges people by whether or not they get on with Calcifer and whether they notice Calcifer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the magic that powers the moving castle and its many doors. And I love the scene where they, the moving castle moves house where they yes, literally just yes. have to like, scoop him up on a shovel, turn around a few times, and then put him back. Uh, and it really does that this idea, and it plays with hearts, like this whole idea of how you keep Calcifer alive is that he has Hal's heart. And right. so Hal being heartless is actually very literal, but you don't realize that because that's the riddle that, that Sophie's trying to solve. Uh, and it's only when you do a reread that you realize how many times he is referred to as heartless in quite pointed ways before we and Sophie figure it all out. But it does this idea of, yeah. yeah, where is your heart? Who holds your heart? And that the place where your heart is, is your home.
2: Well, and I think that the way that they did this in the movie visually was also very cool.
0: Uh, maybe mm. we should talk about that next. Yes. Shall we move on to the movie? All right. Yes. So uh, another one of our tent poles is How's Moving Castle, the Studio Ghibli film, yes. um, which, considering the fact that it shares a title and allegedly – the characters with the book is not actually the same story at all no um yeah. no. <laughs> at all at all i think that's kind of it has like two other similarities with the book um other than the title and the the characters uh the whole plot has been almost completely adjusted uh i have snarky feelings about this movie, I'm going to be honest with you, because I love the book so, so much. And when we heard that there was a movie coming out, low these many, many years ago... Um, at the time, I was very, very excited about this. Of course, you would be excited to see an, ad- an adaptation of your favorite book. And then it came out and it was not my favorite book. It was some other thing. So I can like this movie if I compartmentalize very hard mm. and have it be its own thing. Mm, I agree. Um, if I try to to approach it as this is an adaptation of Howl's Movie Castle, I just get like mad.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, I mean it's not an adaptation per se. I don't know. It's in the same way that it's Ponyo, kind of fanfic. It, Ponyo is an adaptation of the Little Mermaid, right? It's uh, it picks it up, it twists it 180 degrees, uh, it puts it in a totally different neighborhood, and then kind of stretches and squidges it a little bit, and it does something completely
0: different. Hmm. I, I think it's yes, an adaptation. while still claiming and and like labeling itself as the original thing, though, which I think was is that, my my. I, I the, don't know the, that it ever came that it was me. literally the same thing other than the title. Miyazaki never does that. <laughs> no. Mm. Well, mm. okay, so the the plot of this film, you still have Sophie um, <clears throat> getting cursed into uh, appearing to be an old lady. Uh, she still goes out on her quest to see if she can get the curse taken off her. So part of, of what this movie does is that it takes away a layer of the unreliable narrator from you because Sophie in the book meets Howl at the festival and then doesn't realize until later that it's Hal. And you, I think, get a much clearer sense when you're watching the movie that this is a magical person and a significant main character. Oh, and he's a wizard. This is probably Hal um, right at the start. And there's these like goopy goblin mm. things chasing them who are trying to track him down. So you get kind of a more of a sense of like what howl is facing uh earlier on but also very
1: Im- crucially for the relationship dynamic in the book howl is the one who like kind of approaches her and is like oh let's go for a walk do you want to go and see mm-hmm. the festival with me like he's a he, he is a young man approaching a girl at the festival and mm-hmm. being like do you want to go and yep. do some stuff whereas in the movie it's like oh some ho- horrible soldiers are harassing her and she just she just wants to get by and he's like I'll oh rescue you. i will step in and pretend to be your boyfriend and i'll be beautiful and i'll en- enchant these people to leave you yeah. alone and it feels much more like this will sound odd but like YA protagonists, protagonist yeah. like oh the magical person has swooped in to save me rather than like the incident at the festival you don't pick up on it when you read it the first time it's just like some young man is being nice and Sophie's shy and she just runs away yeah it's very much like here is the protagonist sparkle 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 sparkle. oh we're gonna go flying over the rooftops
2: well I think that one of the things that the movie changes a lot is that it is no longer the cozy Mm. genre and I Mm. think that might be one of the things that's like really reacting for for you two is it's a different genre it is an adventure genre and thus it needs an enemy Early, and so these soldiers, who I believe that we kind of then associate back with the uh, with uh, the Witch of the Wastes minions, they kind of have a similar visual aesthetic and size mm-hmm. and threat level, mm. um, become the first representation that there will be physical danger to yep. Sophie. And that Howl will play a part in protecting her from that. Because they chase him over the rooftops, right? They go flying through the air. Mm. Um, And that was something that was very different in this movie. Because we never really have a threat in the book. Sophie getting chased by soldiers is not a thing that DWJ is going to put in this book. Mm. Um, And so it's totally different. Um, One of the cool things, though, that I really loved in this movie was the Mm. aesthetic Oh, it's
0: so pretty. It is a very pretty film. It's
2: a totally different pretty... Because Diana Wynne-Jones doesn't really go for aesthetic Mm. prose. She's very sparse. Mm. She gives you a lot of space to imagine almost anything you want. And so
0: Miyazaki comes along and is like, you know what? I will imagine whatever I want. Yeah, And I think that that makes sense for like the way that Diana Wynne-Jones is approaching the YA genre, she's so much more focused on, on characters and like what the characters are doing rather than the setting. And Miyazaki, of course, since he's working in a, in a visual medium has the liberty of, mm-hmm. I, the, the scene that I always think of when I think of this, this movie's aesthetics is, um, Howl's bedroom and how it's like cluttered mm-hmm. with all of those mm-hmm. beautiful, I was just beautiful like that. gadgets and, and, and gems and tchotchkes all over the place. Uh, and it's, it's like crammed full and just drawing the background of that must have been a, a huge tedious process, but it pays off because it's mm. gorgeous.
2: It reminds me of the uh, the bathhouse and Spirited Away. Yes, yes, yes. Just mm. the same level of absolute nonsense luxury. That's just like, at this point, it's not luxury anymore. It's just a crow's nest. Yeah.
1: Mm. I think part of what the aesthetic is doing also is anchoring the adventure plot in a certain mm-hmm. sort of place and time. Mm. Right. So all... It's very steampunky. It is. In that if you showed me the fashion with nothing else, I would say that is late 1800s. Sure. Like, uh, it's very, like, verge on the verge of pre-World War One, But all of the aesthetics of the war and the bombing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are very World War Two. Right. And, and I,
2: it's such a German town, mm. which was fascinating to me. All of the architecture was so German. Um, or at least, you know that part of europe mm-hmm. uh,
1: yeah it's like it's saying here is fairy tale world this is where right. fairy tales come from right and this in... is
2: where the three sisters and the yeah
1: yeah and, and instead of saying well it's fairy tale world so everyone kind of knows that it's basically everyone just wears dresses and there's no technology it says okay here's fairy tale world let's add some technology mm-hmm. Yeah. And then bomb the shit out of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, here are some airplanes. It's clearly World War 2. Like, off we go.
1: Yeah. Mm. And it really does have that it externalizes all of the danger and externalizes mm-hmm. all of the yeah, the driving conflict to be about the war needs to stop or you know, everyone is in danger from the bombs and instead of the witch of the waste being our main antagonist. It does a very Miyazaki thing with the Witch of Mm. the Waste uh, and makes her, it sort of like just completely defangs her halfway through and presents you with a different sort of antagonist who is basically a human personification of the war's continuation, which is this random Madame Suleiman person who doesn't exist in the book.
0: Yeah. Isn't she the teacher who dies? She was nope, a, That's
1: Mrs. Penstemon.
0: She was kind of a conflation. She's like three different people. She's like a, a Frankenstein of the wizard Suleiman, who was missing in the book, uh, and uh, Mrs. Penstemon. Uh and one other person. Probably the king. Like she the plays king a little the role bit. Yeah, she more does more or less of
1: what the king does. Because the king
0: shows up like once and has like one line and then walks out. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Whereas Sophie interacts with the king. Yeah. In, the, in her role as
2: Harry's right. mother. And, and Which I love the sequence in the book of her getting lost through all of the
0: rooms. Yes. Yes. Uh, and going back <laughs> um, to what you said about uh, Miyazaki defanging the Witch of the Waste, like, that's that is, I think, a, a thing that Miyazaki does quite a lot is that he has he wants you to see these people as as human and he wants you to have empathy and so you see the witch of the waste as this kind of pathetic figure and you feel sorry for her and you kind of like sophie a little bit better for being softer and kinder to her once the witch has lost her powers and taking care of her as she would take care of a grandmother or an old lady who needs help and so it it tells you something about sophie
1: yeah especially for a movie that you know a blatantly a family movie aimed at kids I think that is quite a good message yeah. I mean in the book I like what? that Sophie is the kind of person who when Miss Angorian tries to barge into the moving castle and like tell a sob story about her missing boyfriend and oh can I touch the guitar no. Sophie just like no piss
2: Healthy off
0: boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> get out of my
2: house stop throbbing at me the movie a little bit undermines itself because the witch of the waste then turns around and tries to steal the heart again after she's been Mm. given the the hospitality Mm -hmm. and the support and so to me that's where it got a little bit like i wasn't quite sure where we were going um Mm. with the movie at that
0: point it's a little
1: muddled i'm thinking about what else the movie does that the book can't quite manage and i think it really is that difference between lush aesthetic and what you (laughs) said about sparse prose (laughs) but also like there's all this incidental magic in the book that's just sort of, there's a little discussion about Michael building a spell and things like that, about right, how the right. cloaks work. Uh, and in the first, in a minute scene, you get the visual of Michael putting on a cloak. He turns into right. something, he goes to the front door. Like all this stuff to do with how, and the door with its colours yes, is never actually so explained to in the movie, no, but it's very obvious. It doesn't obvious. have to be. Yeah, have yeah. To be. So be, even though they've got less time to work with in terms of dialogue, so much of the world building is delivered in a really efficient way gorgeous way and it feels very effortless but i think fitting that amount of book world building into a film
2: takes Mm. really
1: really careful skill Mm.
2: yeah and i loved the the beautiful flower field and the catching of the star
0: like gorgeous gorgeous Mm. yeah
1: they're very pretty do we do we want to talk briefly about how yes i had i had a
0: question for you before we move on do you prefer weird giant monster bird boyfriend Or Welsh rugby trash wizard boyfriend Howell. If you had to pick a (laughs) Howell. If I had to pick a Howell.
2: I mean, like, on principle, just from that, always it would be the monster. But, like, actually, of these characters... I feel like the book one learns how to be cowed into behaving himself by the yeah. end, and the movie one will literally never do. Yeah,
0: that. the movie one. True. Doesn't have as much personality as the book one does for me. Like, yeah, and
1: there's no he, sense that he needs to change. He's a yeah. tragic figure, and oh, sometimes he just turns into a random demon bird. And but, once in a you know, while, because
0: he's once in a while well, he does green he's slime. using his magic to protect artist, the
1: person yeah. he loves. I feel like he would be less interesting. Yeah. Like he's, 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 he's an, in an interesting situation, but he's, he's not, not an interesting and person. And
0: he's not very complicated. Which
1: is the thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: But speaking of kissing the man. Sure. <laughs> it's fanfic time. <laughs> okay, fanfic time. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Macy will find a transition. through hell or high water. So we picked, dear listeners, two little fanfics because Howl fandom has a large number of small mm-hmm. fics. Um, and the first one we're talking about is called Second Time Lucky by La Belle Monteuse uh, and it is a book fanfic about the wedding Yay! and by the wedding I mean much to Sophie's dismay both the weddings <laughs> because they do two of them uh which Sophie is deeply unimpressed by and this also features the apparent Welsh tradition of disguising the bride as an old woman and kidnapping her which Sophie turns her head up and is like that's a little we already
0: did point, that we already did that bit <laughs> we did that already
2: <laughs> maybe maybe that's why maybe at the
1: end of the book How's Moving Castle How's like well we're clearly married now oh, yeah,
2: yeah we are <laughs> an old lady. we
0: rescued <laughs> you <Yeah>. done <laughs>
2: well, how do you guys enjoy this one
0: I thought it was very I love cute. a wedding epilogue. Yes, me too. In- it's and- basically a wedding epilogue. It is a wedding yeah. epilogue. And I thought that, um, like, this is very strongly based on book canon. Uh, and yes. I think that it did a good job at depicting the characters as they are in the book and then adding a little bit more on top of that, which is kind of what you mm-hmm. want a fanfic to do, is to, like, dig into them a little bit more.
2: Right. And there's, like, the bits with, like, dress fittings yeah. with her female relatives. And it's very cute. I really enjoyed... The part towards later on in the fic, of course, the witch of the West, the witch of the wastes, kidnaps Sophie of course. again, um, and Sophie uses her she uses her power of telling things what is true to defang and then still show compassion to the witch of the waste, but basically she'll never be able to hurt them yeah. again. Mm. Um, yeah. and I really liked that. I liked that
1: because I, as I said, I enjoy a wedding epilogue, but largely in fanfic. For me, that is one of the the things that fanfic is for. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it Mm -hmm. comes to endings of books, Diana Wynne Jones ends things at the earliest possible moment, and that is one of my (laughs) favourite things about her writing. Like, she ends things bang on as soon as the main thing is even slightly resolved. She's like, and there we go, we're (laughs) done. done. No weddings, no rolling around in anyone's, you know, uh, feelings. feelings. No, 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 we've had enough feelings, and now we're done. And I love that. It's very English. In a book. And then it means that you can just add on the wedding epilogue of feelings of your choice. Mm-hmm. Which is Jeez. great. And it's very much what happens in this one. I also like that it digs into the sort of reverse portal fantasy that is mm-hmm. Sophie going to Wales, like our words, yes. our world's Wales, which happens in the book briefly where she's like, why am I wearing strange tight blue tubes on my legs? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, and this one and Fanny and the sisters looking at their calves in Worry. Yes. yes. It's like, I can see my calves. Why can I see my calves? Yes, yeah, fantasy
1: of coming into our world and being like, oh, yes. strange things. Yes. Which is a fun little uh, scene in the book, and you got to do a lot more of that here, which I liked. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And what was the other
2: fanfic? The other fanfic is Hearts and Their Consumption by Penray Set. This is a very Macy fic. I like this fic a lot. So this is movie canon fic. Yes. And one of the running themes, jokes, taglines of Howl in both settings is Howl eats the hearts of young women. Mm -hmm. Now, what Diana Wynne-Jones means is that he's careless in love. And He and- falls for people and makes them chase him until they fall in love with him, and the second they want him back, he doesn't give a shit anymore.
0: Yes. And also he is um kind of doing his own terrible PR because he doesn't want people to like bother him or come like talk yeah, to him. And so not he's good like at life. He's not good at life. And so he's like, I will tell everyone that I am also a terrible wizard and that I eat girls' hearts. Black in my name.
2: I don't think we get much of Howell as a romantic figure in the movie, do we? No, not do really. we get any of his sedu- seductioning. No, no there's only one sister. He, he keeps.
1: Yeah, no, because he, he basically he sees Sophie, and from then onwards, he's just very Sophie oh, focused. Sophie.
2: So, but we do we still hear in the in the town before the movie really gets started that that wizard Howell eats girls' hearts. Yeah. Mm. Um. So this fic takes that very literally and it is movie verse fic and it says what if by giving his heart to calcifer Howell has created in himself a starvation and in order to live he has to eat but he can't eat food he can only eat hearts Mm -hmm. and so this howl in the fic has been going around convincing young girls to give him their hearts because each of them believe that they are so pretty and special That he will love them back and he will give it back. And the fic asks, how can you be so stupid? Basically. Mm. So the fic is a much more like demon Howl. Uh, It says, you know, when Calcifer got a little bit of humanity from Howl, Howl got a little bit of demon from Calcifer. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's so cool and fairy tale and creepy. And Howl, there's this note about Howl looking just a little too pretty just a little too nice and it reminded me of the whole thing about how snow white wherever she's described is always described in a way that makes her feel like an alien Mm. in any fairy tale tradition like lips as dark as blood and eyes as dark as coal and skin white like snow she's not meant to look
0: human because she isn't
2: human quite and howl isn't quite human yeah
0: it also reminded me of like it's kind of a predator thing right because if he eats girls hearts then he is trying to make himself as attractive as possible kind of instinctively so that girls will be attracted to them so that he can eat their hearts so once he stops eating like a pitcher plant yeah like a pitcher plant exactly (laughs) exactly like a pitcher plant yes and so like once he stops eating girls hearts he starts like slowly starving and getting like more and more beautiful because clearly, if he's not eating, like he needs to be more beautiful to get more hearts. <laughs> Picture perfect. I love that because exactly. it has
1: such it has such fairy tale logic, and this fit really leans in, as you said, basically, yeah. mm-hmm. to the elements of fairy tale logic that. Dinowin Jones is just sort of treating as gently tragic like oh of course you know it makes sense you would use your heart to sustain the life of a fallen star that's that's like classic fairy tale logic Uh, and it means that you can't fall in love and your eyes look like shards of green glass rather than real human eyes but it's all just a little bit sad and this says well sad yes also creepy Creepy.
0: very creepy I thought this was very effective yeah I think yep. I liked like of the two they were both great. I think I liked the second fanfic with the creepy heart eating mm. slightly more just and because doing, I, I, I thought it was feed so effectively different done. Needs. Yeah, so they're feed doing different moods. They're yeah. doing
1: very very different things. So the first one was the I love these characters, let's watch them be happy in a wedding mm. epilog. This is saying I love these characters, let's make it dark. Especially <laughs> <Yeah>. like dark <laughs> transformation of a uh. children's canon.
2: Yeah,
0: is
1: something that fanfic is quite into.
0: Yes. I mean,
2: kids stuff can get real dark. I'm thinking oh, of yeah. Caroline. Yeah, Coraline. Yeah, or like Frances yeah.
1: Harding's everything.
2: Yeah, So this is like I the Frances her.
1: Harding version of Howl's Moving Castle. Mm. Frances Harding would write I this I feel bit.
2: like Frances Harding is like the heir to Diana Wynne Jones in some ways. Mm. I feel like well, yeah, but
1: with like a sprinkling of Neil Gaiman, because she sort of like yeah. does go quite dark.
2: Oh, she does. She's like goth Diana Wynne Jones. Mm.
0: Amazing. Well, speaking of (laughs) adapting works from one medium to another, let's Uh like do a little bit of compare-contrast. Um, do you with the book being the way that it is, do you think it would have been possible to adapt that book faithfully into a movie without changing it significantly? Or is it too weird? And you would have had to change some stuff. Macy is doing weird things with her hands right now. I'm not sure what that's supposed to signal <laughs> to me. Macy
2: has a proposal, okay. which is, this is not a movie. This is a six-part BBC miniseries.
0: I'm down for it. I'm here for it. Not
2: because we love it and we want it to be longer, um, but because they do fundamentally different things. In yes. the same way
0: that the Jane Eyre miniseries
2: needed to be a Jane Eyre miniseries yeah. and not a movie. This has enough different points of view that you can jump around a little bit and you can see the sisters directly, right? You can get into a little bit with the war, you can get into a little bit with the wizard Solomon and the rest of them. um, And it then gives you the space to have all of those, you know, American ninja warrior gets bopped off the plank with a swinging log aspects. Alex <laughs> understands what I'm talking about. Do we want to derail so, or explain of? the concept of American no, Ninja Warrior? No, no, I know Warrior. what American
1: Ninja Warrior is. I'm just not quite sure <laughs> what the, the metaphor Ninja is.
2: a bit stumped as to which scene you're referring to. It's any of them where, where you're running along down the line of the plot and something comes along and goes BOMP and suddenly you're 90 oh, degrees west Oh, a metaphorical American <laughs> Ninja
1: Warrior. <laughs> okay. I thought you were referring to like a scene where somebody gets <laughs> whacked with a stick on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> really? Can we do that to Michael? Can we do that to Michael, please? Oh, All gosh. I could think of was the
1: scene where Sophie tells her Stick to beat no, Miss Angorian.
2: No, I've got it, I've got it. They have to run an obstacle course in order to catch the falling star. Anyway, yep. Sophie with Stick. Anyway. Miss
1: Angorian with Stick um, standing on no, pillars But my point, <laughs>
2: my point, my point, the my point. Getting derailed. The mini-series yeah. lets you have each episode have one of these offshoot plot mm. Yeah. Yes. In a way that a movie cannot And the interweaving makes it really hard to pare down the plots into a straight shot like a movie needs. Yes, Yes. I think you can
1: do it as a movie, but you would have to do it as a romance. It would be a fantasy romance. Mm, Yes. You would still have the stuff with the sisters, but it would be on a lesser level. But because all the stuff with Letty and the stuff with Miss Angorian are romance beats, Mm -hmm. that stuff would stay in there. All the stuff I think to do with uh, Prince Justin and Wizard Suleiman – and things would be lesser or it would go away. I think you Mm -hmm. would have to cut down on all of that stuff. The war stuff, maybe, maybe not. Um, But I think you could do it. You would just have to do a lot of selective trimming of all the things that are not the characters and their relationships. Because you could get away with a lot of the world building staying the same and the magic staying the same. Because, again, you can use visual shorthand for it.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes, but sure.
1: that said, I think it could be do- done, but I would much prefer the six episode BBC miniseries. <laughs> I
2: agree. Uh, like the Pratchett, uh, weird made for TV Pratchett movies. Yes, I love those. Those uh, are so good. They're great. Yeah. But yeah, you have put a top point here as well, Alex, I think. Does yes. the film count as fanfic? Does so the film I'm going count to as make a, I'm going to make a distinction between a transformative work sure. and a fanfic. And a transformative work is not a fanfic,
0: Mm.
2: necessarily. I don't know. I feel like the word fanfic, um, you can stretch it as broad as you want. But the spirit of the word is not the Good Omens TV series. Yeah. You know? Right. Because I think there's a difference once it gets to be commercial that it is no longer fan work.
1: Yes. That's fair. That's where the line is as well. And... I think it counts definitely as, the movie counts very much as an adaptation, but because it is quite a different beast and doing a different plot, it feels to me almost like it's treating the original book as something like, it's treating it as a fairy tale
0: Mm. or treating
1: it as a legend Mm. and saying, I'm doing an adaptation of this thing, uh, you know, Mm. using it as a jumping off point.
0: Sure. That's really interesting. That is a really, really interesting theory. That actually helps Which, me like it a little bit more too. Yeah. Hmm. Cuz right? for me yeah. it's like
1: someone looked at it and said, here's this story that's got stuff about it that I like, but rather than trying to adapt it line by line, beat by beat, I'm yeah. taking the bones that I like mm-hmm, and doing mm-hmm. my own thing. And so it feels yeah. like an adaptation of a fairy tale to me.
0: Yeah. Mm. That ca- yeah. Cool. So the the following dot point was going to be why is Alex angry at the film but not angry at the fanfics? And I think that that kind of like helps resolve that anger. Because, like, that kind of shifts my brain to look at it in in a different way.
2: Hmm.
0: Nice one for us. Well, speaking
2: of adaptations of fairy tales.
0: Yes. So
2: this is the episode where Macy is the straight man, which is unusual for many reasons. (laughs) On several Um, levels, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you two are the Diana Wynne Jones experts of this podcast, so tell me more about Diana Wynne Jones and the self aware subversion of the fairy tale trope, which sounds like a better Harry Potter book.
1: Alex, would you like to try and pronounce the name of this book? Dark Lord of
0: Durkholm how well did done. you just do that <laughs> because i this is like one of my favorite books from way back when i ah. was like 14 years old the first time that i read this book and i didn't realize like how incredibly actually genius and funny and how much of a parody it was of the entire fantasy <laughs> genre at the time it took me like three more years but, until i reread it and went holy shit this is genius but the, the, the point is
2: dear listeners that
0: neither Fay nor
2: i can say the name of this book do you want to try saying it no the so nip, nip, I always end up saying "Dirk Lord of Darkholm." Always, without fail. Yeah, doesn't matter which way I try to say it. And Freya had an even wider array of.
1: Oh well, I mean, I can say "Dark Lord of Darkholm," but my brain always wants to insert "Dork" somewhere, <laughs> just for troll reasons.
2: But the point of this dot point was um, one of the things that Diana Wynne Jones does a lot of. Um, she is a tapestry weaver of a writer. Yes. and a uh, big skein of the thread that she wefts off of—I'd say—mixing my metaphors terribly, and Alex is giving me murder eyes. Uh, um, no, not
0: wa- murder eyes. I was like, "Is it weft? No, it's warp."
2: There we go, warp. No, warp. Uh, well, I, the, the ones <laughs> that she sets. The ones that she sets.
0: So the yeah, warp. the 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 long ones that go um, away from you, like towards and away. That's the warp, and then the ones that go back and forth parallel to you. That's the weft. Okay, so <laughs> Alex's fiber arts corner. <laughs>
2: A lot of- I'm going to get us through this dot point, do God Do it, do it, sorry. A lot of the skeleton that Diana Wynne-Jones builds up off of involves fairy tales. Mm-hmm. So tell me about which fairy tale is the spine of Dirkholm, then. So
0: Dirkholm is, as I said, the entire fantasy genre. Specifically, um, the Journey Quest. Um, it is about a, um, world which has kind of been taken over by this, like, corporation that... Uh, brings in tourists and, like, sends them on, like, fun magical tours um, around this entire globe. And you can pay to have people killed on this journey. Um, But mostly it's very, like, scripted and standardized and nobody is in danger. Um, And they're hitting all of the beats of the the journey quest narrative Hmm. while she makes fun of the fantasy genre.
2: Is that fairy tale or fantasy quest, though?
0: So that's, that's an interesting philosophical question, because then you're asking how much of the fantasy genre as a whole is building off of fairy tale tropes, which is quite a Mm -hmm. lot, right? Because like, you're inheriting all of this stuff about like, what protagonists look like, and like, prophecies and fairy and uh, so on and so forth. So like, I'm considering it a whole, a whole chunk of thing. Like, this is the same thing to me.
1: I think there's, you've got a, a few different Venn diagrams happening here. You've got, yeah. you know, subversion of tropes, where which she's definitely doing in that book. She's definitely doing here. Um, and then you have the fact that she sometimes does play a fairy tale a little bit more straight. Like Fire and Hemlock mm-hmm. is an adaptation yeah. of Tamlin. Hmm. And it does a bit of subversion, but I think it's been a little while since I read it. So I'd have to sort of reread it to think about how it treats the beats of that it's by far story.
0: her weirdest book.
1: It's a very <laughs> odd book, but it is also a Tamlin adaptation. Yes. Um and the the sequel to um sequel to House Moving Castle, Castle in the Air, is mm-hmm. kind of an Aladdin ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like it takes a lot of Um, inspiration from like those you know um, tales of the arabian nights and does a thing with flying castles and you know beautiful princesses being locked in towers but it subverts them quite heavily
2: i'm wondering almost then if i'm coming at this the wrong way around because again i i don't know these stuff in nearly as much depth as you guys do it's not so much that these are the plot that she's using it's that they are the common language of expectation that the characters have
1: The characters characters are usually genre aware. Yeah,
2: yeah. Not even if the book is more, you know, um, Lord of the Rings taking the ring to Isengard. That's not where they're taking the ring, Macy. Where are they
1: taking the ring? (laughs) Mordor. Ring versus hobbits. They're taking the
2: hobbits to Isengard. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) There we go. I'm awake. Mm. Uh, Right. Okay. Cool. Because Sophie is not in a fairy tale, but Sophie thinks about everything. By fairy tale rules. Mm. And she's wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, she kind of is in a fairy tale in that is a lot to do with transformation and mm. having okay. and the, the entire thing to do with, by the end of it, she is the one who has put the curse on herself. And she is the only one who can break it uh, by, you know, accepting herself and accepting who she is and her feelings and not needing the disguise and the protection of being an old woman anymore. Mm. That's mm. very fairy tale. And she ends up marrying the handsome... Prince slash wizard, which is yeah. also very a fairy tale. Um, it's just that she doesn't know which person in the fairy tale she is. She hmm. thinks she is the supporting role in someone else's fairy tale. She doesn't realise she is living her own. But beat by beat, beat by beat, there is still a fairy tale thing guiding the way her story plays out.
2: You know, and I'm thinking at the end as well, in either adaptation where she solves Calcifer, it's reminding me a little bit of Labyrinth, you know, My Kingdom is great is that she's proven herself an equal to Howl rather than a supplicant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And and the release of Calcifer is very like genie being, you know, using your last wish to set the genie free. And the genie comes back because now you're pals. Right. You know, there's a, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of those echoes there. But so but, briefly before we end, I'm, I wanted to dig into the other thing that Diana Wynne-Jones does in this book, which she does in many, many books. Many books. And that is
2: bottle fantasy.
0: Yes. Really? She loves a portal fantasy. I would say that she that's really probably... Just she loves
2: doors. She likes doors. doors.
0: She does really like doors. And I would say that that's probably like, if you asked me to pick one sort of signature Diana Wynne-Jones trope slash aesthetic, it's doors and portals.
1: Mm, mm. And, and just people from one that. world, people from one world having to go into another world. Yeah. And that like bit of culture clash slash narrative clash and yeah. the reverse one that happens in this one with Sophie going to Wales happens again in Deep Secret. Yep. With the like Centaur coming to the science fiction convention in what? our world.
0: Yes. What? That is that is literally a fantasy <gasps> oh, novel about Worldcon. It's about Worldcon. It's, it's about Worldcon. It's very Con. funny. It's very, very, very funny. <laughs>
2: because the only other Diana Wynne-Jones that I've read recently is I read House of Many Ways from our Houses episode. Yes, is that, that was Magical on yes. Houses. Yep. Dar- Darling Scribes will tell you where to find it. Um, and that one, I remember loving the doors because the doors were nonsense the doors were extremely frustrating you mm. walk through a door and you walk through some other door somewhere in the house but which one who the fuck knows, who knows? all you know for sure is there's probably laundry there yes yes <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like Diana Wynne-Jones I both admire and hate you for this because it's far too true
1: yeah and it's a huge yeah. fantasy concept used to do <laughs> cosy fantasy
2: I love it
0: so yes. much yes uh.
2: <sighs> Do you
0: two want to talk about
2: Crestomancy at all?
0: Crestomancy also does portals.
1: Yeah, I think it's Crestomancy is more this idea of a multiverse to play in.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And I think it's a little bit interesting. She doesn't do a ton of male main leads, does she? Uh, I would say it's a fairly
1: even split. Especially if you look at more of the standalones. Split. A lot of the protagonists yeah. of the standalones are ah. like quite young men. Yeah. The ones Or your boys, basically. Like the ones that are more sort of standalone middle grades. I would say is a bit of a... I'd have to go back and count, but I'd say it, it feels seems, like a fairly it seems even like an, split.
0: It's, yeah, it seems like an even split to me as well. Because you have like uh, Christopher Chant and you have... Um, uh, Archers
1: Goon, male main character. Mm-hmm. Dark Lord uh, of Dirkholm, male main character. Dark Lord of Eight Days of Luke, male main character.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think, hmm. yeah, actually maybe even more... And, and, and there is a few of the standalones that have almost like a central trio or a central couple of, of characters, yeah. Um, where there's usually like one boy, one girl. Oh,
0: yeah. She likes yeah. doing sets. Mm. Yeah.
2: Well, I remember because I, I listened to bits of Crestomancy as a small child, being driven places, mm. and I remember just really, really wanting to be Crestomancy.
0: I can see that aesthetic for you more than more than I
2: wanted to be Harry Potter. You know? Sure. Yeah. I wanted to go bopping around the multiverse
0: having nine lives and being yeah, able to like get stabbed a, a couple times just for fun. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And amazing dressing gowns like. always. And then once you have aged out of being the protagonist then you can age up into being Wapping around wearing dressing gowns and like sighing as you help your magical orphan wards out of their own adventures I
0: love that. yes see, that sounds
2: perfect
1: yes that i does do
0: sound. i do think i like the the adults of a diana wynne jones novel because they've clearly like got their own shit going on <laughs> yes. and like hobbies and lives and like you don't get to see that very often in like Why you a, know that like
2: a, a female adult crestomancy yeah. would have great fur trimmed robes you know oh, yeah Oh, yeah. Like the, like, rich divorcee who's been murdering her ex-husband. Shit, that's cool.
0: Robes. Macy, you should have, you should have a coat like that. You should have just, like, a giant fur collar coat. Yeah, Wander around being, I mean, you're you're divorced. (laughs) Yeah, as the one among us who is actually a divorcee. I didn't
2: kill him. (laughs) Well, no. I didn't Mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) He's still alive, your honour. He's fine.
0: He's fine. (laughs) Hey everybody thanks for joining us for this episode of be the serpent a podcast of extremely extremely deep literary merit i don't think i really have any pithy ending statements for this episode other than yay we finally did a diana wynne jones episode uh i think part of the reason that we held off for so long was that we didn't really have a cool idea for it other than you know we really like diana wynne jones let's talk about that But for whatever reason, it just didn't gel together until one of us, and I don't remember who it was, but I think it was me, had the idea to tentpole Howl's Moving Castle the book against Howl's Moving Castle the movie. Now that's interesting. Uh, But we have some even more interesting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode two weeks hence on July 14th, it's our episode 90 extravaganza. We are answering a bunch of great listener questions, roasting each other for our writing habits, and sending our characters on vacation. Uh, So in the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations, contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, if you were a garbage rugby wizard who just wanted to be left alone, I bet people would do that. Good for you for setting healthy boundaries.